Welcome back to the Shred Takes Podcast Show. We're in a little bit of a new spot today, and I'm excited just to break down some interesting storylines that I've uncovered um, during this week off. You know, I've been working really hard in a journalism internship, and it's been hard for me to keep track of a lot of these podcasts, but I'm really glad that you guys are back and going to view this podcast once again. Let's first get into the fact of let's just break down the NBA how it's unfolded, basically what I'm going to take away from this incredible moment that we're going to be witnessing on Wednesday with the NBA Finals happening, with all the stuff that's happened during the year. The fact that this has happened is pretty incredible to me. So I wanted to break down, obviously, how the Heat got here, how the Lakers got to this point, and explain to you guys some key stats, key takeaways that you have to look into the series, as well as who I think ultimately will win the series and what I think about the NBA bubble overall as a success, as how it was constructed, all that kind of stuff. So the first thing I want to break down quickly for everyone who's viewing this, this podcast, who doesn't know how both teams got there, was the Los Angeles Lakers and the Miami Heat are now in the NBA Finals. How they got there is pretty simple. The Lakers in the Western Conference won on five games with the Portland Trailblazers, five games over the Houston Rockets, and five games with the Denver Nuggets. And the Miami Heat beat the Indiana Pacers in four games, the Milwaukee Bucks in five, and the Boston Celtics in six. And they just beat Boston last night to win that game six contest, 125 to 113. So what am I taking away from this stuff? It's pretty simple. I think that Miami is the underdog in the playoffs. Now, in the Cinderella of the West, like I've stated before, is the Nuggets. Cinderella of the playoffs has definitely been the Miami Heat. And I'm going to credit Austin Lee a lot for this, is that, that's, that he thought this team was a dark horse. He thought this team could beat the Bucks, ultimately win the East. He definitely thought that. So I'm going to give kudos to him for that because that's a very solid pick he made. He looks like a very smart guy right now. So if you guys know Austin Lee, definitely give him his props for a good pick there. But I was all on the Lakers bandwagon during the year. I was not giving into that Clippers title chasing drama or all the stuff the media was getting into. The media just looks for ways to discredit LeBron James and as a player. And look, whether or not you like him as a person, like him as a player, you have to acknowledge that he's a great player, one of the greatest of all time. He's in his 10th NBA Finals. That's ranks for third all-time, tied for third all-time. That's unbelievable. And that just shows you how great of a player he is. Now, let's, how did he get there? How did he get to his 10th NBA Finals appearance? Well, he put up 38, 16, and 10 pivotal game five that allowed them to win by 10 points. He had 16 of those points in the fourth quarter. He had six unassisted baskets. And it was just what he did throughout that series shows me and gives me confidence that the Lakers, you know, can do well in the finals. Because in game four, while everyone was crazily saying how he, oh, he made a great free throws, so he played a good game. He didn't have a very good offensive game in game four. Shot seven of 18, only had 26. Did not shoot very well in the fourth quarter. But his defense has won, won them that game that day and got them to the position of beating the Denver Nuggets. Now, Denver deserves a lot of credit for what they have accomplished and what they did. I think Denver will win a championship at some point. If Jamal Murray plays at that consistent level every game, and if Nikola Jokic continues to develop more of a left hand in the post 
and continues to play at that high level, keeps himself in shape. And if Michael Porter Jr. becomes an all-star level player, which I think he has the potential to do and potential to be an incredible player just based on the fact of how athletically gifted he is and his jump shot, the fact that he's a 6'10 wing, he can turn into – I'm not saying he will be this guy, but he can turn into a Kevin Durant-type player because of what he has in terms of his athletic tools to bring to the table. Now, we also give credit to the Boston Celtics as well. They had a great season. Now, I know the Boston fans, especially friends of mine, are very disappointed. I was disappointed, too. I thought they were going to win in seven games, even though I was rooting for Miami. Because I thought Boston, ultimately, their talent would prevail. I thought they were the more talented team. But what happened ultimately at the end was Boston's inexperience, their, I think, lack of trust in one another. I think Jason Tatum's lack of playmaking really didn't help them out. And I think they also really struggled to guard the three-point line. And they love guys like Tyler Hero to go off. Dan Adebayo had a great game, six of 32 points. So at the end of the day, Boston had an incredible season. They really proved a lot of people, I think, wrong. And they showed that they really did come together as a team until, I think, this series against Miami where I think they went a little too much hero ball. And that's where I really take away from there. But now, with that whole, I guess, deviation away from the actual point, the point I really want to bring up is I actually think this series will be a good series. I, I do see the Lakers winning the series in six, but I wanted to give you guys some key takeaways and key stats that you're going to look at, some things that you have to look at. The matchup between Bam Adebayo and Anthony Davis, for one, is an incredibly important matchup for who's going to determine for who is going to win the series. Excuse me. Where I see this going is the fact that I think that Anthony Davis is just unguardable at this moment in time. I don't think even a guy like Dan Adebayo can stop him. I think Dan Adebayo can, can pose difficulties on Anthony Davis's shot and make it tough for him. But I think Anthony Davis ultimately is just so good offensively now, and he's in such a groove with his jump shot. It's going to be hard for them to stop him. But, again, that match is huge because Bam Adebayo does so much. Bam Adebayo gets a guy that can switch five, right? If LeBron switches on to Bam, Bam Adebayo switches on LeBron, that's not a mismatch for the Miami Heat. He proves in many series – you switch a guard, uh, you, switch, you switch him onto a guard, it's not a mismatch because what he can do is he can move laterally really well. They have great gap help. They rotate well. They communicate really well defensively. And, they, and look, they really only have two really good defenders, but they have a bunch of really good team defenders. It's based on a team defensive concept of strength the gaps, close out hard, force into the paints, be able to switch five, communication, all that kind of stuff. Because, again, defense is about schemes, but it's also big on communication, right? So Miami has done that really well. Also, Miami ranks fourth in rebounding in the playoffs. The Lakers rank first. So that's also another key stat I wanted to talk about. Because whoever wins the rebounding battle, I believe, will win the games too. Because if you give Miami a lot of second-chance opportunities, they can make a lot of threes and they can make you pay because they have – Besides Anthony Davis and, and LeBron James, I agree actually with J.J. Redick on this point, and you should really check out his podcast if you really want to hear a lot of good basketball takes from an NBA guy. But anyway, he made a great point basically saying that with in terms of the rebounding, right, this is why my point works, is because Miami's next five players after you, LeBron and AD to be the best players in the series are much better than the Lakers players. The Lakers' depth, like I've said before, is not great, but they – Although they do it well enough where they can win games because LeBron and Anthony Davis are so good. And 
that's really where rebound has become so crucial because if those other guys that he can get going based off of second chance points, it's going to make things tough for the Lakers. But if you give the Lakers a second chance opportunities because they're so good at rebounding, the first in the playoffs, that gives the guys like Anthony Davis opportunities, LeBron James more opportunities. Dwight Howard will – if you allow Dwight Howard to make an impact in the game based on rebounding, you're not going to win. If Dwight Howard does what he did in game four and game five for this entire series, the Miami Heat will be in real trouble. And that's just based on the fact of – if you look at that, it's just you, know, you don't want to give second chance opportunities. That's just, again, why – the Lakers have a real prime opportunity to win the series, and that's why they're favored, is because they're so long, so athletic, and so good on the glass. Now, let's also look at just some other key takeaways, too. And I think the problem is Miami's troubling second halves. Now, ESPN source, this is where I'm actually getting my information a little bit from, but I want to generate a little bit of opinion on this. So basically what they – this is a quote that they, they gave, and I'm going to share it right now, you know, when they played this year on November 8th and December 13th, the Lakers outscored the Miami Heat by 10 in the second half. And again, you want to make sure against LeBron James that you're closing out and you're getting good possessions in the fourth quarter. Because if you think about it from that standpoint, you're giving a guy like LeBron James, who just had 16 points in the fourth quarter of game five, you give him opportunities to close out the game. LeBron James, more times than not, will find a way to close out the game. Whether it's scoring a lot of points, getting his teammates involved, and you know, making the right plays, that's what he's known to do for the rest of his career. After that Dallas Mavericks series, he's become a very clutch player over the course of his career. And that's because of the fact that he knows how to get his teammates and himself in positions to take over those games and win. Now, let's also look at the fact that if you look at the Heat, right, in the third and fourth quarters, they rank 19th and 28th in terms of point differential. And that's all based on the fact that they rank 19th and third quarters and 28th and fourth quarters. Because again, they're a young team, right? And Jimmy Butler, while he has proven the playoffs to be a very good closer, I think Tyler Hero is actually diverse in that role really well too. And so is Dryder. They're again, they're a young team. They struggled with that in the past, right? And that's primarily just because they are a young team, like I said before. Now, another thing I want to really break down, though, is it's going to go down to how the Heat shoot from three and how the Lakers shoot from three. If the Lakers – and if it's more – there's a difference in that, though. The Heat need to shoot a good percentage because the Heat are going to put up a lot of them, right? Duncan Robinson will put up 10 threes. Tyler Hero will put up 9 to 10 threes, right? And that's going to really be determined of their thing. For the Heat side, though, you want to make the Lakers take a lot of threes because the Lakers are one of the worst teams in the NBA – uh, at least in the top teams of shooting threes, at least in the bubble, they were the in bubble playoffs. They are the worst three point shooting percentage of any team in the NBA right now. That, you know, that's obviously the, you know, so the reason why they're playing is because of the fact that they're so dominant in the paint because LeBron and AD are so dominant, right? But they're not a good three point shooting team. They are, they are situationally good. They have guys who are now hitting shots and they need them. But Danny Green, for example, did not have a great series against the Nuggets. He shot terrible from three. The only guy who's been a reliable three-point shooter on their team is like Contavious Caldwell-Pope or maybe Anthony Davis, but they don't have a ton of shooters. So if Miami can really pack the paint and make it tough for LeBron to score and, get, and, and force him to take 30 to 40 threes, I like their odds in that series. Now, I also want to break down another key thing, too, basically that I have been looking at pretty hard. Um, and I think that it's just – 
You look at the offensive ratings, right? The offensive ratings, the Miami Heat right now are going from seventh in the NBA, and now they're the fourth best offensive rating in the NBA. Now the playoffs, so they have the seventh best defensive rating, right? But let's look at the Los Angeles Lakers, right? Let's think about what do they do, right? The Los Angeles Lakers went from the 11th best offensive rating to the second best offensive rating in the playoffs. And then they went from the third defensive rating to the fifth. So their defenses went down a little bit. And that's probably because they've also had difficulty defending perimeter guards, which is another point I want to get into. My last point is it's going to depend on how Duncan Robinson, how Gordon Dragic, and how Tyler Hero play. Because I think LeBron, you know, Jimmy Butler is going to do what Jimmy Butler does. And Van Adebayo is going to, you know, again, he'll be – he'll have trouble, I think, in this series more so than others. But because I think Anthony Davis is too quick to guard him. But I think that those guys are, are who they are, right? It's the others that, again, like this is the big part of the series. It's the big thing the Nuggets. The Nuggets have better supporting cast too. But what happened at the end of the games was more of the fact that Miami's big players did show up because Boston's lack of adjusting to them and making them take tough shots. Now, the Lakers have struggled with perimeter guards in the past, even against Murray. And Jeremy Grant had some good games with them too. So if, if the others like Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and Goran Dragic can go off, that's going to make things tough. And that's why looking at those defensive ratings and offensive ratings I just pointed out to you guys is important for wondering who's going to win the series. Now, personally, I, I, like I said again, I, think, I feel Lakers winning in six games. And that's primarily because I think that they have the two best players. I think they're just a better team. They're better defensively. I think it's going to be tough for Miami to penetrate on them because Miami's threes really come off dribble penetration and come off from getting penetration into those elbow dribble handoffs, getting Jimmy Butler to drive right and kick out the shooters. Again, they run a lot of things through Bam Adebayo, right? They run a lot of elbow action, you know, screen away, or weak screen action, which basically means you screen away the opposite side, and then you get a handoff, right? They run a lot of stuff like that to get opportunities to get Duncan Robinson on the run to be able to make threes. It's going to be harder because if you're going to have longer defenders on him and you're going to have guys who can be able to stay over the top. And Duncan Robinson finds a way every game to shoot 11 threes and make a good amount of them. But that's really the problem at the end of the day. Is I, again, I don't think Jimmy Butler – has been super dominant in my last years. He had some really good games. He had some games he only had like 15 points. So I think the Lakers just, again, their two players are too good. And I think it's, you're not going to be able to stop over them. Now, I see it going six games, though, because I think Miami can push it. And I think Miami's a good enough team. And if anyone is ever doubting the Miami Heat, you are sadly mistaken. This is not because I don't think the Miami Heat are, are a good team. I just don't think they have the talent and the size to deter the Lakers. I think the Lakers are going to get a lot of offensive rebounds against the Heat and capitalize on those. Because look, the, the Bucks got a lot of offensive rebounds against the Heat. They just didn't capitalize on them because they just didn't have the players to do it. But you have Dwight Howard, you have Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis is aggressive on boards and all that kind of stuff. Now I also want to talk about, do I think the NBA bubble was a success? The answer to that is pretty simple. Yes, it was. And why? Because they kept the players safe. They were able to close it. They're right now in the NBA finals with zero COVID tests. So all of that stuff, the NBA's bubble has been a major success. And I don't see any reason why people should be looking at it and saying the NBA didn't do a good job, right? Now, look, maybe the ratings are down because people have different opinions about what they like about what the NBA conducts in the court. But in terms of the bubble itself, the bubble has been a success because you have no COVID tests. In terms of positive tests, you have, sorry, you have COVID tests, obviously, but you don't have any positive cases. And that's always important when you're playing a sport. 
now look, these players would probably be fine if they got COVID, but you don't want that because you get that shuts down any ability of keeping it in a bubble and keeping it safe. So kudos to Adam Silver and kudos to the league for getting this done. And the NBA Finals, now hopefully, will be a great series as well. Now, I also want to break down two more things in this podcast. We're going to be a lot more quicker segments. I want to break down the whole Big Ten situation with football, the whole situation there. And I also want to break down where the problems lie for my New York Giants and the fact that the NFC East is just a terrible conference, the worst NFL conference right now. And who, I mean, like, why do you think that is? So that will, I'm going to take a short break and I will be back on to discuss all those things in just a few minutes. Welcome back. So basically, as I'm discussing all this stuff, what I really wanted to bring into this conversation is the fact that the Big Ten had this whole dramatic situation that happened. As you guys know, they initially canceled their season, or people will say postponed it, um, because the fact they didn't have an adequate testing. They were worried about the correlation between heart illness and COVID. They were worried about the fact of having all these college guys on campus. They also didn't believe that it was, it was vital to have a college season because the guys weren't professional athletes. They weren't getting paid for it. And they just didn't feel like with underlying conditions that this was the best situation. But then, you know, obviously they got pressure from President Trump and our schools electing to go play their own non-conference schedule, such as Nebraska. And ultimately, Kevin Warren and the rest of the Big Ten schools came down to a consensus of playing the season. They're going to do an eight-game season. They're going to have the Big Ten Championship on December 19th for a chance and whoever wins that game to play get into the college football playoff picture, which will be set to go on December 20th. And that's going to be really interesting to see how this unfolds. So why did it unfold? It's because they, had the, they got a, a different kind of testing back. They got daily testing. They have a really strict guideline if someone does get sick. They have adequate procedures to do during the day, which turns into just like detection and all that kind of stuff. So they were able to keep it safe. And they're also able to realize that like, you know, other schools have been able to get this done. The NFL has been safe with it. And while the LSU, for example, has had a lot of COVID cases, um, I do think that there's, um, that's, I, I think the Big Ten starting, look, I, I, I see exactly what it's for though. It's, it's, it's for the fact that the schools make a lot of money. People don't realize this. I think everyone thinks that they make money off fan Ticket deals, that's just not true at all. They make money from TV deals, right? A lot of money from it. Big 10 overall makes $2.64 billion from TV deals with Fox Sports, CBS Sports, and ESPN. So again, these schools make a lot of money off their football. It's different from Division Three sports. Division Three sports do not make a lot of money off their sports because again, it's not a scholarship base. It's not getting televised on a national network. And... Because, like, you know, Amherst football, for example, gets televised on Northeast Sports Network, right? And that's like the deals they make. But it's not nearly the amount of money that, like, the Big Ten is making or the SEC is making. So football is kind of the way these schools make a lot of their money. And that, at the end of the day, is the important piece to take away from that. Now, do I think it's a good decision? I really, again, as long as you keep the players safe, 
you have and your comfortable decisions, I, I say, you know, you guys can go for it because we haven't had enough sports playing right now. If you can keep it safe, if you can, um, you know, have the right guidelines in place, which I think they've done, it's statistically, it's, it's, you know, it's not as bad for a college athlete to get it, even though obviously COVID is a really serious illness. That's not why I'm saying, I'm not saying COVID is something you just can, you know, you should play football because of, you know, the fact that your college students are safe. It's more because the procedures are better. And that's why I think it's, it's good that they're at least had the procedures to be able to play. I was saying don't play football because I didn't think they had the right procedures. Now they do. So that's always important. Now, also, I wanted to kind of break down um, a little bit about the NFC East, right, and my Giants. My Giants right now, I would say, are the worst football team in the NFL. And I think that's just a proven fact based on the first two games, first three games for them. They only got 45 yards of rushing the other day against the 49ers. They had interception, again, from Daniel Jones, his fourth of the year. And a fumble, so he now has six turnovers on the year and only two touchdowns. Um, the Giants can't get any sort of passing game either, just with him generally. I mean, he just he played pretty poor. He only threw for like 170 yards the other day against San Francisco. And he went a QBR of 50.2. Nick Mullins, on the other hand, had a QBR of 77.5. And, you know, the Giants are losing to backup quarterbacks and, and you know, beating up defense of the 49ers. And it just shows you – why the Giants just aren't there. Is that Joe Judge's problem? Yeah, primarily some of it is, yeah. Because he will get some of the blame because I think his play calling could be better, and I think it should be better. But I also think he is holding his players accountable for it. I mean, in practice, he's making these guys push push-ups, run laps because of their turnover issues and not executing the right way. But after a while, is it going to be able to help the Giants win? I don't know because, again, like if there's only so much criticism an athlete can take at the stage and edge, especially as a professional. Now, in the NFC, also, I mean, you have the Eagles are just also awful. I mean, Carson Wentz has been playing horrible to start the year. And even guys like Max Carolman going on first take today and saying they should trade him. I mean, that's a, that's a hot take. They should not trade him. I think they just don't have the right coaching pieces and the right things around them um, to get that done. And, you know, Joe Burrow was the better quarterback. I mean, speaking of Joe Burrow, he's looked unbelievable so far this year, despite the fact they haven't been that good in Cincinnati. He's been great. And I think that everyone should be – paying Joe Burr the attention he deserves. The Redskins, you know, obviously did, after, the, after that first week where they looked really good, they haven't been that great recently because Dwayne Haskins has been turning the ball over way too much. He had three interceptions against the Browns. Um, what, I think the Redskins are going to be a team that's going to be all right. But, again, you don't have to win a lot of games. You can win six games, I think, this year and win this, and win this division. And the Cowboys for, will be the best team. And I still think the Cowboys are not a Super Bowl contender. Like, everyone – Every Cowboys fan thinks they are. Even as a Giants fan, I know my Giants are going to make the playoffs, but it does make me kind of happy to see the Cowboys not win big games like every year when the same problem occurs, right? They get down and they uh, get great numbers from Dak Prescott because he's coming back, and then they ultimately lose the game, right? And Seattle right now is not the best team in the NFC. But, I mean, they're probably top two, but Green Bay probably is the best team in the NFC right now. And – you know, Seattle's defense is not great, and still, you know, Dallas is losing games. They probably should win. They should be 0-3. I mean, think about it. If they actually, you know, the Falcons didn't choke two straight games, the Falcons could be 2-1 and one right now. And so they're 1-2 in the year. So, I mean, the NFC East in itself is just a pathetic conference, and it's not because I think the coaches aren't good in those conferences. I think it's just because – 
those teams themselves just aren't good enough. And it's not because I think they don't have like good talent on each of these teams on some like the giants, they definitely don't, but it's because of the fact that they're just, again, they, they, there's certain intangibles they just don't have yet. Cause a lot of these teams are still young. Um, you know, Washington's really young. They have a new, you know, Ron Rivera is trying to implement a system there. You know, the, the Eagles just aren't a good team. Carson Wentz is just not playing very well. And the Giants just stink overall. They just don't have much talent, especially with Saquon Barkley out. It's just going to be tough for them to, to produce. And the Cowboys, just the, the typical Cowboys. I'm not saying it's Mike McCarthy's fault. They just have a personnel problem or a just like, you know, uh, ability to win big games issue that they just haven't been able to overcome. You know, the Rams, they lost to them. You know, they should, almost should have lost to the Falcons. And everyone's going crazy about how they beat the Falcons. And, the Falcons are, are 0-3 right now this year. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, it's a great thing that you beat the, Fal- the Falcons. So, at the end of the day, the NFC East is the worst conference, worst division in football, and I don't think it's even close. And I am really eager to see what the winning record uh, or what the record of the winning team is at the end of the day. I believe it's going to be like 7-9 or 8-8 eight eight will win the conference. You can probably be 6-10 and 10 and win the conference. Just That's how bad it is. Um, and, yeah. So anyway, I, I should be back on sometime this week too. I'm going to have some guests on the podcast. Um, but thank you guys for tuning in and I will see you guys soon. Thank you.